There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm here with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard. We just came from one of the best weekends of NCAA tournament play ever. One of the classic games was Wichita State, Kentucky. Truly fit for a Final Four game or a championship game. But somehow, in their infinite wisdom, the tournament committee decided to pair them in the second game. It was, a, it was truly an exciting finish. Spencer, what are your thoughts? Kentucky struggled a lot in SEC play uh, this year. They lost to last place South Carolina in Columbia. They they got swept in overtime both times by the Arkansas Razorbacks, a team that ultimately did not make the NCAA tournament. They also dropped um, a game to LSU, and they got swept, and they lost to Florida three times. In the non-con, they lost to Baylor, a team that is a sixth seed in the tournament. So Kentucky had some holes in their resume. And they were really in free fall mode to really get into this to the spot. I mean, they were the preseason number one team, and they dropped all the way to an eighth seed because of a sluggish SEC slate for them. So the committee did the committee values the regular season and that's why Kentucky was placed at an eighth seed it's frustrating for Wichita that they had to play Kentucky the other teams got to play much much softer eighth seeds like Pittsburgh Memphis and the other eighth seed I'm thinking about is uh let me think well, it's actually, I'll think of it later on in the show. I don't have it in front of me. But the bottom line is that Kentucky, for them to draw that seed, it is just is just absolutely awful. It just was so unfortunate for Wichita. In fact, last year, Wichita stayed as a ninth seed in the NCAA tournament. They played a team in Gonzaga that only had one pro in Kelly Olenek, and the rest of the team was either playing ball overseas, and they were not shooing NBA players whatsoever. Gonzaga was considered a week one seed from the Western Athletic Conference, and Wichita State had a much easier road last year as a ninth seed. Because after that, they played LaSalle, a 13th seed. If they got past Kentucky this year, they would have played Louisville. So a perfect team has a much tougher road than a ninth-seeded Wichita team last year. That basically just explains the agenda of the NCAA tournament. You have to get fortunate with your matchups. And Andrew Harrison and Aaron Harrison in this game, they're physically imposing players, and they impose their will on shorter guys like Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker shorter, and even though he's stocky, 
they were able to bounce right off of him when they put their head down and drive. And in the first half, I thought Kentucky played a little bit too tentative. But in the second half, they really fed Randall and the Shockers. What they hang their hat on is really getting defensive rebounds in the 50-50 balls. But Kentucky, with their length and athleticism, they are a really special team that is loaded with with lottery picks. And, you know, you had the shooter young. He was just tremendous in the game as well. I'm shooting the rock. He made so many clutch shots. The lefty, young, and Kentucky was able to claw back in the game in the second half. But what a great showing by the Wichita State. And Bruce, for for all the doubters that that looked at Wichita and their schedule this year and, and 35-0 and 0 and not paying the respect that Wichita State deserved for being the first team since, I believe, the 1970s and the Indiana Hoosiers to go 35 and 0. Did their showing yesterday validate their season, even though they lost in the round of 32 to an eighth seed? Did did it did their performance cement their legacy, and did it impress the nation even in defeat? What is? It? I, I believe it really did. It was a tremendous game. Clay Anthony early was just hitting clutch shot after clutch shot. I mean, he's a six-foot-eight power forward, and they just kept on going to him, and he just kept on hitting from that elbow, you know, hitting three-point shots and keeping him in the game, battling. Uh, certainly, I thought the coaching was excellent. Um, but you, you look at Kentucky, and people have watched every game of Kentucky said, this was the smartest game they played. John Calipari really had them, uh, you know, not turning the ball over. They played great defense. They made a lot of steals. They really hustled. They played as a team. And the two Harrison brothers were just killer from the line. It seemed like they made 20 straight free throws. And they they looked like professionals to me. And um, like, like like you indicated, I thought Wichita had a great year. Unfortunately, people don't tend to remember that that what happens in the middle of the tournament. We'll remember this team. We'll remember the thirty-five and zero. But it all came down to Fred Van Vliet. You know, had the shot. In that shot, he had a good look from the top of the key. If that shot would have fallen, the Shockers would be thirty-six and zero, and they'd be they'd be heading into a very another tough game against Louisville, and then they would possibly play Michigan. So th- this whole. The way they, they, they sorted this out, they put all the best teams, or I should say most of the best teams in the Midwest, and you look at teams like Arizona and Florida, they almost have a free ticket to the Final Four. just didn't make any sense to me. So I, I think there was, a, in my view, the uh, tournament committee wanted to knock Wichita State down a peg, and it was very purposeful what they did, and I'm I, a little bit resentful of it. That's an interesting take on it. Louisville this year didn't play a great non-con whatsoever. In fact, all the games they had versus ranked teams in the top 50 RPI, they lost. They lost to North Carolina. They lost to Kentucky. So Louisville, even though they came on strong at the end of the year and even though their players are top caliber, the committee can only look at what they did in the non-con and they played a very conservative schedule for them. 
and they ended up dropping some games that that really didn't cement them as as going much higher than a four seed. So you you have to look at the body of work. You can't just disregard the entire regular season, even though it makes sense sometimes to not put Baylor as a six seed and UMass as a five seed that's really struggling right now. UMass had a very good um, non-con schedule. They were undefeated for a long time earlier in the year. Villanova is a two seed. Many people debated that. And I watched Villanova games. They weren't as good, uh, certainly, as Duke, a three seed throughout the season. They don't have as much talent as some of the seeds that were ranked behind them. But they went out to the Bahamas and beat Kansas and Iowa very long ago in November. So you have to put value in the regular in the regular season and sometimes it would be a lot better just to like project where teams are based on eye test and based on how hot you are at the current moment then Louisville Michigan State would be one seeds but Michigan State lost to Illinois they you know they lost some games to Nebraska teams in the middle tier of their conference so you know, Michigan State's resume wasn't worthy of a one, and you have to consider the the regular season, even though it definitely corrupts the tournament. Because Kentucky is definitely not an eighth seed of caliber. I think that they're right now favored to win the entire tournament. Poitras, Julius Randle, uh, James Young. Um, just a tremendous basketball team, and they all came together. And sometimes you say, well, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Well, here talent obviously was working hard, and they came out determined. And Wichita took power punches from Kentucky and, and returned to right back. And Clay Anthony early, his draft stock is rising. He was the one guy on Wichita that could create their sh- could create his own shot. And an opinion I actually have on Wichita is that last year, they had Malcolm Armstead, a gritty kid from Oregon, who had who was six foot, six foot one, and he had such speed to get into the lane, and he used the angle so well as a lefty. He's a better penetrator than Fred Van Vliet. And Carl Hall was also a monster down there. And with all due respect to you, Feel and Carter, who are tremendous players, Carl Hall as a senior. Uh, just just knew his way around the basketball floor and he could he could just finish and get rebounds so you know it would be an interesting argument but I'd say like last year's Wichita State team was just as talented as this year's and without Creighton in the league I think Creighton would have tripped up Wichita once or twice so they wouldn't have gone undefeated and of course if Wichita played in let's say the Big 12 they wouldn't have gone undefeated but you know, I look at La- I look at Fred Van Vliet, and he's such a tremendous point guard. Him on the break was he was making just wizardry passes, but in the half court, it looks like they were stymied at times. Did you kind of see that as well? That other than early jabbing and pulling up and and being Reggie Miller like, it just seemed like they had trouble penetrating against Kentucky's bigs, which are spectacular defenders. Well, I look at Ron Baker, who also played a great game. When they really needed it, he hit three-pointers. He slashed in. He made some nice layups, went up with his left hand. He's really a great player. I mean, he's a sophomore, and, um, you know, he's about 6'4", 6'5". You know, he's not a Doug McDermott. He's not going to take that many shots. And, you know, he, he's, he also plays very good day, and he's very versatile. With respect to Van Leet, ran into some foul trouble. And Ron Baker was able to handle the ball. 
So I thought that uh, certainly Baker and Early really carried the team when, when things were looking bad for him in the second half. And uh, I definitely was very impressed with Greg Marshall at the end of the game. Uh, just very emotional. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear, we're going to be going to a break. I want to hear some predictions for Greg Marshall. What will his future be next year? I think he's one of the rising stars, one of the great coaches in the league. And I wanted to firstly say that this segment went by really fast. And I really thank the listeners for tuning into Bruce the Sports Doc. Stay right there. Real sports fan, get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next edition of Bruce's Sports Doc. I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a pain management doctor and sports doctor. I have offices just outside of Philadelphia and in Wilmington, Delaware. If you're anywhere near our office and you need help with any problem, including neck, back, headaches, concussion, if you're in a work injury or car accident, give us a call. You can get us at 610-521-6063 in Philly or in Delaware, anywhere. It's a small state. We'd love to see you, 302-636-0920. We ended the last segment by talking about what I found the most intriguing game of the last weekend, Wichita State getting edged out by Kentucky in an epic battle of heavyweights, a lot of leather being thrown. The ratings for that game, Spencer, were... That was the top game so far. No surprise. Right in the middle of the day. Beautiful spectation. I think that's a word. So we were talking about the coach, Greg Marshall. Really intriguing guy. Was it Withrop? Essentially, this guy came from the school of hard knocks. He fought for everything he got and just built this Wichita team over the last three years into a wonderful team, setting records 35-0. and And you just wonder. He's such an ambitious guy. Is he going to be happy staying at Wichita, or is he looking beyond the Missouri Valley? 
Well, I think in his time at Wichita, he won an NIT title, which is a big deal for a team in that kind of that extended period there that Wichita received in the playoff format definitely helped um, progress the program because their players got to gel together, play extra games, go to Madison Square Garden and beat Alabama in 2011, an SEC opponent for the NIT title and bring it home to Shockerland. Then they went to the NCAA tournament in 2012 and they played a VCU team that was a very talented team with Shaka Smart and they came within three points and they had Torrey Murray who right now is on the New York Knicks roster. They had Ben Smith, love David Kyles was on that team. Joseph Ragland, another lefty point guard. Uh, that was kind of a carbon copy of what Malcolm Armstead was to follow the following year. So which, so just Greg Marshall is an outstanding Juco rec- recruiter, and he gets guys that are so talented, and they really can change the game with their quickness. They're, the, the players on Wichita State, you can notice the difference in athletes that Marshall was able to bring in to Wichita State. And he builds an unselfish culture where they, they pride themselves on defense, toughness, and not being prima donnas and not just worrying about offense. What they're really built on is not fouling for 35 seconds on a shot clock. And I can't say enough about what Greg Marshall has done. And his personality, his competitiveness, all you can do is respect it. And he's relentless. And this Wichita State team was so relentless this year. You know, they were undefeated, and then they went to Springfield, Missouri this year. They were down by 19 in the second half. They could have just chalked it up as a game that just wasn't going their way at a tough arena um, at Missouri State. But they came back and managed to win in overtime. And this team is just all about the next play and the next possession. And Greg Marshall, just an unbelievable job just transforming the program I mean taking it to a final four for the first time in 40 years out of the Missouri Valley Conference um, beating Gonzaga that year so he's definitely very likable he's he's very passionate cares so deeply about his guys and he's a really serious competitor uh, that that is really in it to win it all the time and uh, he's just he's really in the business uh, he doesn't really he doesn't have a consolation prize of losing, and he takes it harder than almost any coach in basketball. With that being said, he went 35-0 and this year. He won the Valley. He entered the tournament undefeated, and the Missouri Valley just doesn't create the same type of exposure. A lot of his games are on ESPN3. They're lucky if they get the, the second ESPN on ESPN2. And for Greg Marshall, I mean, to go undefeated, to win both Valley titles without Creighton in the league, I I think it's definitely, if I was Greg Marshall, I would say what more is there to do and to gain? Because conference play really is the majority of your season. And Wichita State is on a whole nother level right now in the Missouri Valley. So I'd say for Marshall, he's a guy that always loves to challenge himself. And the only way that Marshall can really up himself is to win a national championship. And that is going to take, again, getting a great matchup and waiting a whole nother year. So if I'm Greg Marshall, I would definitely look to go towards the Big Ten or the SEC where you're playing ranked opponents, where you're on CBS, where you're playing Calipari 
Ferraris and Rick Patinos and uh, just the likes of the of the power coaches. You look at the Big 12 Conference, you have Bill Self, Fred Hoiberg, Bruce Weber, all these legendary names, are uh, Rick Barnes. So the the Big 12 could be a great landing spot, or the Big 10. I mean, that those have the most prestigious coaches, Izzo, Bo Ryan, Fad Mata, um, you, you just, and Tim Miles is a rising star. So I would definitely go that route, because what more is there to gain? Winning a national championship, he's owned the Valley, and I think he's next level good, and he should get a chance to battle the big names like Calipari, not just in the NCAA tournament. I agree with that. I also think that I'm sure he's compensated well at Wichita State, but you look at it. You look at a program like Purdue or Indiana. You look at an SEC program, and he's gonna, you know, he, he's gonna be paid a lot more money. Let's be honest. The coaches get paid a ton of money, and he's an exciting coach. Uh, I think he's an articulate guy. He was um, humble in defeat. He was almost in tears talking about his feeling about having the year is over and paying homage to his seniors. Says all the right things. An interesting guy, certainly very fiery. I think any school would be happy to have him. I remember we saw what happened when, uh, when Bruce Pearl landed at his new place at Virginia Tech. Auburn. It, oh, I'm sorry, at, at Auburn. And and he was mobbed by uh, by the fans. And just an exciting guy. I think Greg Marshall, people really noticed him this year. He was pretty much invisible until, you know, this this big run. And I think that he's an ambitious guy, and I looked for him to get a really good job and to probably move on. So I, I think that, uh, you know, he's done all he can do at the Valley in Wichita, and it's time for him to move on. C- certainly. I want to bounce around to teams in the tournament. But he at Wichita State, he he just was an unbelievable recruiter going outside the box, getting all those getting all those JUCO kids after two years. So imagine what he can do at a Big Ten school like Indiana, the appeal, uh, the culture of the program, and the prestige. If Marshall was there, I mean, he would just get five stars all across the board because he could sell them. He's he's a really passionate guy. And from what I heard about him, he's kind of, his uh, personality is kind of contagious, and you really want to fight for a guy like Marshall. So um, I think it'll be interesting, though. It might contrast the styles. I couldn't imagine Marshall with one-and-done guys. I always imagined him with those gritty four-year seniors that we all grow up to love, and it looks like Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker are exactly the type of players that's great for basketball, whereas the one-and-dones of Marshall, I just don't know if he could transform his personality. He's always kind of been the little guy his whole life so that's an interesting dynamic to look for going forward here's a question for you you look at a team like Marquette they, they lost their coach Buzz Williams and essentially it's in the Big East can you imagine if Marshall went there he'd be up against Creighton again he'd be up against uh, you know good competition they play in really big arenas and I, I look at that maybe as a target. We heard some rumors about Ben Howland, who had a, had a nice nice run at UCLA, kind of tailed off at the end, who's very interested in the Marquette job. And it may well be that he'll take the job in the next couple of days. But you look at a Marquette, I, I think that's something that would be, would be a step up for Greg Marshall. 
Certainly. I mean, I know Marshall has been uh, – rumors are he was offered by UCLA and, and some of the top dogs. I think Marquette is, is on that second tier. They're really respectable. They're not a five-star program. I'd say they're about a four-star program. And Milwaukee's a good hotbed for recruiting in the Midwest. It's a couple hours from Chicago. I think that could be a possibility going forward. So looking right now at the field, I definitely want to talk about a frashing, or frashing of a three seed that we haven't seen for a very long time. A 30-point ball game that was really over midway through the second half and really in stunning fashion for most people who follow college basketball. The Baylor Bears just romped the Creighton Blue Jays in San Antonio, Texas, 85-55. to Isaiah Austin goes off and scores 24 points. Brady Heslip chips in with 17, including 5 of 7 from beyond the arc. Bruce, what did you see at this game? Um, can you kind of break down what, what your eyes saw here with the Bears taking on the Jays? Well, we're up against the break right now. Certainly we profiled Creighton this year, and it was really shocking how they got completely destroyed by the Baylor Bears. So yeah, I've got a lot to say I've got a lot to say about that game. But mostly I want to say thanks to the listeners for tuning in to Bruce the Sports Talk and Spencer the Wizard. Please stay tuned. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next edition of Bruce's Sports Talk. We're right in the middle of March Madness 2014 tournament. We're down to the field of 16. A lot of interesting teams, a lot of surprises. There's always a lot of upsets. I'd like to go back and try to make sense of what we saw last night. When the Baylor Bears completely dismantled the Creighton Blue Jays. Many of us who had spotlighted Creighton all year thought this was the year. Loaded with seniors, with Doug McDermott, the Wooden Player of the Year. And we thought that going against the Young Bears, we would have a big advantage in terms of our tactics, our spacing, and the idea that they were going to play a zone. 
I figured we'd shoot over the zone and we would, you know, certainly make it a close game. But this game was over in the first half. The Bears start out, started out hitting seven straight three-pointers. Just just incredible. Two seven-footers, hat slip, hitting for 17 points, and playing stifling defense. Essentially, the the possessions for the Blue Jays, they were just basically passing the ball feverishly around the perimeter, getting close to the end of the shot clock and taking bad shots. And that was the story. And I really didn't see many adjustments. I'm not sure that they could have done anything differently. But it just seemed like a bad game all around for the Jays. You know, when this draw was first given out, I looked at all the teams in the country. And what Creighton lost last year is they lost a seven-foot center in Gregory Enjanike, who was about 250 pounds, and he just anchored the paint for two years at Creighton as a transfer from Rutgers, and he played on the Venezuelan national team. And Gregory was a monster uh, down low, and he really gave Creighton that different element to their team. And then everybody assumed that this year with with Enjanike missing and them having to start Ethan Raggi, a six-foot-eight kid, in the Big East as at their starting center, that Creighton would really struggle um, with the with the post guys down low, and it caught up with them at the worst possible time. And in the Big East, they haven't seen any uh, tandem like Austin and Jefferson that are that are as dynamic scoring the basketball as these guys. Austin can can hit you from 15 feet and out. He has a beautiful jump shot, but Austin inside has really come into his own. He had shoulder surgery last year for this team, but now that he is back and healthy, he's really a force to be reckoned with. He's one of the best big men in this tournament. He's a locked first-round pick, in my opinion. So you look at this guy who's a seven-foot-one kid, and they basically had the luxury of putting him down low in the zone. So basically the Creighton guards couldn't shoot over Austin. He would alter their shot or at least his hands and everything would, yeah, distract them enough, force them to change their angle on the shot so that they wouldn't make it. And Creighton hasn't seen guys like this. And then Corey Jefferson, who's their four guy, is six foot ten. So Baylor has the size. And also Austin and Jefferson are really mobile. They could jump, and they're just such athletes down there. And Creighton just couldn't match them athletically. They weren't as quick. Uh, again, they couldn't jump as high as Baylor. So just those intangibles Creighton was missing. But what they needed to do in the zone is they left the middle of the court wide open. So Creighton just should have had Doug or Avery Dingman, who's a pretty good shooter. They should have just had Creighton just hit pull-up jump shots. Austin Chapman can hit pull-ups. I know he was fatigue impacted him. But you got to get the ball in the middle, and I would have had Dingman just take floaters, try to hit shots in the middle of the paint. They were obsessed with the three-point shot in the first half. I believe they started 0 of 9. So that's really the way to conquer the zone. I thought Creighton, once they saw Baylor getting so hot, they should have slowed down the game and kind of just tried to weather the storm a little bit more. But, you know, Bruce, when you saw Baylor's athleticism, I mean, them as a six-seed, it just, I believe you've seen, you've watched this tournament all weekend. I think Baylor has the ability to win a national championship. I think they're my, I think they're the most talented team left in this field, and I cannot believe they went two and eight. I followed them during the Big Twelve, off and on, especially towards the end of the year, 
and I knew Kenny Cherry, their point guard, was out. But it just mind boggles me how they could go, how they could be that poor in conference play. Their talent and also the coaching decisions by Drew versus Creighton were spot on, and I couldn't believe that they wouldn't be near the top of the Big Twelve. In in looking at the Baylor Bears, and also listening to a lot of analysis for people who watched a lot more of them than I did in the beginning of the season. The story was that the two players, Jefferson and Austin, really matured. They learned how to play well together. Great defense. They were just down low. They were just like fly swatters down there and changing all the shots. Uh, I thought Brady Henslip, that guy, he's a senior. He's, he's another Canadian guy. Cherry uh, started off the game like five three-pointers. And it reminded me of when Creighton blew out Villanova on both occasions. They just did not miss. They were going inside, outside. In the middle of the game, it was like watching the Harlem Globetrotters. It was like an alley-oop drill. And listening to Steve Kerr and Mar- I think it was Marv Albert did that game. Steve Kerr said it looked like a varsity playing in JV. And Baylor was so athletic. They were rolling. They, they had so... They were just going downhill with so much momentum, and Crayler just looked, Crate just looked bewildered out there, and uh, you know it was, it was it was tough to watch. It was it was really a long game. The whole second half was was garbage time, and the only the only uh, bright spot for me was look looking at the admiration between the four exiting seniors and Coach Greg McDermott, the sincere hugs, and then the tears flowing. Really emotional, and that's that's what the tournament's about. There's one team that gets to, to to enjoy the prize, and especially a team laden with seniors, to see them lose the last game was very emotional. It, I couldn't feel worse for these seniors. What they did for three years in this program for Grant Gids, who almost was contemplating quitting basketball entirely, a game he's grew up uh, watching. He has all these Larry Bird tapes back at his home in Marion, Iowa, and for him, he his career was really it looked like he was fading into the sunset with all these injuries and the draw he got. He was really bewildered, I think, basketball wise, coming from Washington, Spokane, in Gonzaga. He transferred to Creighton, Ethan Raggi, Doug McDermott, and Jahans. I mean, just for them to never get to a Sweet Sixteen, this team was so capable of making a run. They have great shooters. They play such good offensive basketball, and defensively, they've really bought in. And I think this was the most talented team they've had because Ethan just was next level good this year, and Jahens really played well for stretches. Unfortunately, when you when you look at Creighton, they don't really have a guard that that could guarantee you to get buckets other than Doug there's no real guarantees of guys that could shoot there they could all be most of the time they're on but they could be off sometimes and, and Baylor's length it was the worst matchup I look at teams in this field Oklahoma was rated higher Ohio State was the exact same ranking as Baylor a VCU was higher and Cincinnati so teams that have flaws were rated higher than Baylor and again that's just the committee just doing its job realizing that Baylor struggled in the Big 12 Baylor is the most underrated six seed I I figured a very long time I believe that if Vegas could rank the odds they, they would be a one seed that's how good I think Baylor is they are an unbeatable team and Creighton just got the worst possible draw because no one has a bigger front line than the Baylor Bears do and you can even argue 
argue Creighton got North Carolina and Duke the first two years they were in the tournament with these four seniors. And you could argue that this year they just got such a raw deal in terms of drawing these Bears. Because these Bears, I believe they can win the national championship. They are next level good. They're big guys. They're shooters. It's a wrap. I mean, they are just playing on a whole nother level than everyone in the field. And I think you'll see that against Wisconsin. So Creighton had the ability to go very far to a final four but the draw that they had it's crazy because you look at Tennessee as an 11th seed and they played a UMass team that was struggling mightily a team that that doesn't have a lot of size and then they go against a Mercer team that is just exhausted from beating Duke and I believe if Creighton could have gotten the draw of an 11th seed they'd beat they'd they'd likely be heading to a sweet 16 in fervor but unfortunately that's how it that's how it works out and you it just shows you that you have to get so fortunate in your draw not to end end up with a really underrated team as a six seed like the Baylor Bears. And, you know, Bruce, what do you what do you feel about the NCAA tournament and seeding? I mean, do, are you cognizant of just how much of it is, is matchups? Like, what is your whole opinion on just getting the right matchup to move on? One thing I noticed about this particular tournament, there's really an attempt to set up interesting regional matchups in the second game. I really think they tried to set up St. Joe's against Villanova. That didn't work out. Both teams got outed by Connecticut. They, they were intrigued by the idea of Nebraska against Creighton. And now you've got a great... I spent a year living at University of Louisville during my neuromuscular fellowship. The rivalry between Louisville and, uh, and Kentucky, they're very close. They're, they're 20 minutes apart. And the fact that they're going to, to meet together... In, in this in this game, two of the best teams in the nation, two great coaches, te- coaches that know each other, that really kind of grew up coaching together. You know that that's one thing I like about the seedings that they that they matched it, and the, the tournament also likes contrasting styles. I think they wanted to see Creighton up against Baylor, two incredible contrasting styles. But we've seen it a lot. We've seen slow teams that are good shooters totally take big athletic teams out of the rhythm, fluster them, but but certainly Baylor you know, looked tremendous. When we saw the uh, the championship game against Iowa State, that was really a great game, and Baylor almost pulled that game out. And you could see how good Iowa State is. When when you look at Baylor, are they your favorite to win it all right now? I mean, how, how good really is this basketball team? Well, I, I just I can't go that far. I, I think they're... One of the teams I like, it's, it's a team that's exciting. They've got a really high ceiling. And we saw them play almost a perfect game against Creighton. You know, you, you hope they don't get overconfident. But a team that but, – but I've seen, you know, Louisville at Kentucky. I thought Kentucky against Wichita State played an unbelievable game. And if Kentucky is on, they've got five NBA players there. Well, we're just coming to the end of this segment. It's, it's all about NCAA basketball. We really appreciate everybody listening to us today. And please stay tuned. We'll be back in three minutes.
Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the last segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we're now going, as they say, around the league. We, we focused on certain games, but I think it's really important, Spencer. I want, I want you to lead us through on this one, and I want you to look at the games. Let's try to pick the winners as we headed to the final eight, and what teams are hot, and what teams do you think are running out of gas? Okay, well, there was two two seeds in this matchup that looked like they were prone to be to be uh, getting upset. You look at the Kansas Jayhawks in St. Louis, and they were without their lottery pick, Joe Embiid, and Joel Embiid. And you looked at New Mexico with with Kirk and Cameron Bearstall, two seniors that are close to seven feet tall that could stretch you from fifteen feet and out. And the and the Lobos were red hot. They just beat the Aztecs in Vegas for the Mountain West title. So you looked at them, and then you looked at a pedestrian Stanford team that finished, you know. Uh, just in the middle of the pack in the Pac-10 conference. And you had a coach in Johnny Dawkins that was on the hot seat. The talent that was at Stanford, you didn't think that they could really compete with the bigs down low in New Mexico. But again, in typical New Mexico fashion, they bow out early from the NCAA tournament. So then you're looking at Kansas playing Stanford and you're thinking, this should be a breeze for Kansas. They're just more talented across the board. They could definitely afford to get by this one, but Andrew Wiggins scores four points, and Wayne Selden doesn't have his best game. Really, the only offense that Kansas had was from uh, their three-point shooter at the end of the game. So I, I looked at Kansas, and they really struggled in this ball game. Uh, versus Stanford, and Stanford with a really decisive three-point win at the Scott Trade Center. And just a complete stunner that Bill Self and this team is going out early. I couldn't believe it. Uh, that Stanford would be the one to do it. Most people had New Mexico because New Mexico had those seven footers, as I mentioned. So, and, and then you know, a team that in Villanova that didn't play a great Big East conference schedule. The Big East goes zero and four. That's something to look at. Providence had a great showing, but other than that. You had Xavier losing the Tennessee and Creighton getting pounded uh, by the Baylor Bears, as we mentioned. So the Big East didn't have a great tournament. And then you looked at an old Big East foe in Connecticut, 
a team that went to OT versus St. Joe's. I had St. Joe's advancing to the Sweet 16, and St. Joe's was about to beat Connecticut. Connecticut had a big three-point play at the end of that game. They managed to play uh, Villanova in the next round, and Shabazz Napier went off for 25 points on them. So Connecticut is now headed back to MSG. That's kind of an intriguing storyline. The Mercer Bears on Friday. Just what a fantastic performance by the Cinderella Club. I mean, this is from the same conference as the Florida Gulf Coast Dunk City Eagles of last year. Right? Brett Comer and uh, and you had Brown last year. And uh, just, uh, just that uh, Florida Gulf Coast team was so much fun. But this year, you have Bob Hoffman and the Mercer Bears defeat Duke in Raleigh, North Carolina in the first window Friday. And that game was just, you know, it just was back and forth, a seesaw battle right till the end, a huge four-point play by Mercer. They shot the lights out. They played team basketball. It, that was the bat, the most well-played game of the tournament on both sides. And Duke even had big contributions from Quinn Cook and Rashid Suleiman from beyond the arc. So the Mercer Bears defeat. Duke that was that I think was definitely the game of the tournament they decisively beat them in the final moments Mercer played out of their minds good and then the Cinderella hit midnight next round versus a surging volunteer team with Quanzo Martin now he was on the hot seat Fans were clamoring for Bruce Pearl to return to Knoxville. And now this team with Stokes in the middle, they out-rebounded Mercer, just abused them on the glass, and they're headed now to Memphis where they should have a nice following there. Or excuse me, actually, they're headed to Indianapolis in the Midwest to play Michigan. You know, Bruce, you look at uh, the storylines. I really wanted to see Creighton and Wichita Two teams that were with Doug McDermott and a perfect year. I wanted to see them emerge and be a factor come late. You see Wiggins and the freshmen's bow out. I loved North Carolina or Providence because of Bryce Cotton and Marcus Page. You really look for individuals to carry teams. And it's a shame that we are really missing out on some individuals. It's a shame that Niang got hurt because Iowa State would just be that much more fun to watch. That North Carolina-Iowa State game was absolutely riveting. Fantastic television. Kane hits a shot uh, at with two seconds left to put Iowa State on top for good. But Naz Long hit some t timely threes down the stretch. Car that was just an offensive shootout in San Antonio, Texas. That was just a fantastic ball game. The Dayton Friars are advancing to the Sweet 16. You have um, you have Archie Miller. And you have, you know, just two Miller brothers going on. So, Bruce, uh, what what other games did you see? I, I definitely, you know, jogged us up on, on just some of the games. I'm just going around the horn here. The VCU game. Uh, down by 10 with three minutes to go. Everyone is writing off this team that is 29-2. They thought they would lose to the team from Richmond, the Shaka Smart-led VCU Rams. And, you know, VCU didn't close the game well, but they had a four-point lead with 10 seconds left. You think it's over, just stay away from the shooter shooting the three. Don't even get in his grill. Don't even make it a doubt. A, a doubt that that it's not that you're not fouling the three-point shooter. Basketball 101 there, and in improbable fashion, the VCU lumberjack player hits a three-pointer. 
and gets fouled when they're down four with three seconds to go. He hits the free throw. They go to overtime in the Lumberjacks. That was really a great story because they had a tremendous season. So you you look all around. You had Saul Phillips of North Dakota State. And if you're a recruit looking to go play somewhere up in the Summit League Conference, Saul Phillips is just, he came across as such a sincere guy, crying that his seniors and the run was over. And, and in the first day, you saw Saul Phillips kind of put up the ACDC horns at the end of the game, just, just going absolutely wild when his team won the celebrations. That's really gets March going. So, Bruce, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this whole tournament uh, going forward and what you saw in the first weekend. Just the Cinderella's just, it never gets old, man. Well, one thing we didn't touch upon that I think we really should focus in on the end of the segment is two teams that are somewhat flying under the radar. They are your number one seeds, you got your Arizona Wildcats, and you got your Florida Gators. And look at these bracket. This part of the bracket, they're just you know doing what they have to do. They're they're not letting down. Florida isn't playing great, but they're playing good enough to win. Arizona is actually playing very very well right now. They're they're sharing the ball, good balance scoring. So I think it's important to give those teams th- their fair due, and and look at their matchups as they go ahead. And do you think do you see both of those teams going to the final four, or do you think they're going to get tripped up? I, you you mentioned Florida State and Arizona. I think Arizona could get tripped up by Baylor. I'm confident Baylor can handle them. They're just so hot right now. They're just a team that I loved, uh, you know, from really the Big 12 tournament on. And the backstretch of the Big 12 is the Baylor Bears are going to be a tough threat to Arizona. I see Arizona beating San Diego State but then losing. Florida has a much easier road. They are such a lock. And their next game versus Michigan State um, will really be something in the in the uh, final four. That's definitely what I believe in Arlington. What the storylines are? You kind of I'm really, in my opinion, I'm disappointed that that Doug and Wichita is not in the field. I think that those are two unbelievable storylines. Do you feel that? Would you have liked to see some things happen that didn't happen? Yeah, I agree. I think that Creighton, in looking at that game. I think they'd probably lose 19 out of 20 games against Baylor. It just was not close. The matchup was terrible. And I know they played a bad game, but I just think that one was was just destined to be a loss. Wichita State could have easily won that game against Kentucky. Now, Kentucky played its best game of the year. If Kentucky would have been a little less patient, maybe missed a free throw or two, there's so many different variables in that game. Uh, Wichita could have moved on, and I think they would have done fine against Louisville, and it would have been a great matchup against Michigan. We're talking really athletic teams, and Wichita can match athleticism with these really great schools, totally unlike Creighton, where Creighton lives by the three, dies by the three. The fact that that McDermott, our boy, only got three points in the first half, a, a nightmarish time where they just they, they, they double teamed him you know it was like they were playing a triangle and two on him in the first half and um, when you shut down Doug McDermott you beat Creighton that that's the way it, that's the way it goes 
Yeah, you know, I agree with it, parts of those sentiments. I think Creighton was a little bit deeper than, you know, a lot of people uh, are viewing them. I think Ethan hit some shots. I just think, you know, as I mentioned, there's so many seeded teams that are higher than Baylor that Creighton could have defeated easily to go on to the Sweet 16. And I look at so many... It's just crazy that they drew Baylor, and it's really disappointing because these seniors are such a special group. They put so much time into the program, and they were right on the precipice of making Creighton history just to get to the Sweet 16. And I thought they had potential, but unfortunately, they really got a tough matchup. Um, and Wichita State being undefeated. We're talking about casual basketball fans here. There's not many matchups for the casual basketball fan. You know, Tennessee and Michigan... I mean, that'll be an intriguing matchup, but Dayton and Stanford. Stanford is a team from the Pac-10. They're not really a Cinderella team. They're a team with prestige, a team that plays in a power conference. Same with Tennessee. They don't really fit the Cinderella mold that a Mercer, if a Mercer would have advanced, like I love seeing Florida Gulf Coast play last year in the Sweet 16, so I'm sad that we lost the Stephen F. Austins and the Cinderella teams. You know, I'm sure the Final Four will be good. I'm sure we'll see some quality basketball. But in terms of storylines, I wish we had that Cinderella. I wish we had a perfect team, and I wish we had Doug McDermott making a Stephen Curry-like run through this tournament. And also Jabari and Andrew Wiggins. You know, people pay attention to the NBA factors here. But I get my my most intriguing storyline is Baylor it, because they're a team that no one talked about, and uh, just to see Scott Drew, everyone underestimates him as a basketball coach. They just think they roll the ball out and play basketball. I mean, what's your most intriguing storyline like heading like looking forward in this basketball tournament? What are you excited to see? Well, I, I really enjoyed Stanford. Um, I thought they played really well. Exciting team. Good, really well coached with uh, former uh, Philadelphia 76er Johnny Dawkins, really class guy. You, you got to like them. And uh, I'm also intrigued by Baylor. I love their uniforms. It reminds me a little bit of the Oregon Ducks. Unbelievable shirts. I, I'd like to. I'd like to own one of those. And you look at Isaiah Austin, who really great story. Blinded one eye. Wears protective goggles. Certainly, his vision looked great yesterday. So, this the, these four segments just flew by, and now we're we're going to our own into OT here. But I want to thank everybody at the network at Voice America, the production team, Ray Ellis, Jeff Spinard. Most importantly, thanks to the listeners. We'll be back next week for another edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.